We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Basketball Podcast presented by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. As always, you can use that promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit on DraftKings. That gets you a free contest entry today. Also, we should mention right away, Rotowire is running a Rotowire Championship competition on DraftKings. That'll be for the remainder of the NFL season. We started with our qualifier in Week 14. There's going to be qualifiers in Week 15 and 16 as well. Then, of course, the championship comes in week 17. The top 31 players from those three qualifiers will all punch their tickets to that week 17 championship round. And, of course, we'll be posting the link to that on the site. You can also find it on Twitter, so it'll be accessible. Definitely want to get in on that. That should be a lot of fun. Anyway, it is Thursday, December 17th. Nick Whalen here with James Thunder Anderson, as always. Um, We want to talk a little bit about kind of a, a variety of things, I guess, today. We'll talk about... Um, some of the some of the disappointing teams in the NBA. We'll touch on uh, your boy D'Angelo Russell and the Lakers, um, and then we'll talk about a couple of prospects that we like. And uh, just looking at some of the top college players, a couple guys uh, who project as top five, top ten guys, and uh, talk a little bit about them. But uh, I mean, how's it going? I haven't, I haven't really talked to you a whole lot this week. Yeah, no, we uh, we haven't even talked once about Fargo. We'll probably do that at the the end of the show, but right. Yeah, we'll, we'll spare the listeners that so there's no fast forwarding and you can if you yeah. don't watch Fargo you just, just cut out um but yeah no I mean I think uh kind of excited specifically to talk about Chris Dunn and Brandon Ingram in a second here uh they're kind of shooting up my personal draft board and then yeah I mean there's there's a lot of 
it's kind of just been a really weird NBA season. I, I think it's kind of sucked drama wise. Um, I mean, obviously you, you love the, what the Warriors are doing, but it's kind of boring. Like the, when, when you know who the two best teams are and it's not even close, it's just seems like you're kind of going through the motions with the regular season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the the Warriors breaking the streak, you know, we knew it was going to happen at some point, but that was kind of the main storyline. And now that that's over, it's kind of a little bit of a lull now. Uh, obviously, Christmas Day, Warriors-Cavs is kind of the next big thing mm-hmm. to look for. But with this down, like you mentioned, as down as the Western Conference is, you know, it's kind of Golden State, San Antonio, and everybody else there, even OKC, you know, with Durant missing a little bit of time, they've fallen back a bit. And then it's kind of Cleveland and everybody else in the East. And the Cavs only have a one-game lead on Chicago and you know, game and a half up on Indiana, Miami, and Toronto, but it feels like it should be a lot more than that, right? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think the Cavs without Kyrie Irving are are pretty pedestrian uh, relative to sort of where they were last year when they sort of when they sort of peaked on their run to the finals, and I honestly don't think even with Kyrie Irving, that they're anywhere near as good as the Spurs or the Warriors. So, I mean, to me, it's kind of a whoever comes out of the West is winning the finals, barring some sort of big-time injury. Yeah, I mean, I think I tend to agree with that. Um, I think Cleveland maybe would have had a better chance last year had they been healthy to beat Golden State than they would this year. Uh, I mean, just Golden State basically bringing everybody back but David Lee, you know, another season of continuity. I mean, it's easy to forget they were down 2-1 in that series, and you know, a game in Cleveland away from going down 3-1 and, and things could be a lot different. But yeah, I mean, this Cleveland team has played much better defensively without Kyrie. But I mean, as we saw last year, you, you just can't get away with playing that style against Golden State. Eventually, they're going to expose you when you just can't score with guys like Delvadova on the court. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they've been playing some pretty, pretty rough lineups. So I'm not going to hold their record against them the mm-hmm. fact they have seven losses which is more than the Warriors and Spurs combined but uh just not I don't think their best is really all that close to the best of maybe even a team like the Thunder like I think if the Thunder mm-hmm. were firing on all cylinders I'd pick them over the Cavs and I don't really give the Thunder much chance to get out of the West as things are currently standing right which is crazy because this OKC team you know would be you would think almost a runaway favorite most years but I think that just speaks to how strong Golden State and San Antonio are um, but Iman Shumpert now out again for Cleveland. He's got a groin injury out indefinitely. Only came back uh, for like basically a game and a half uh, after that wrist injury. So that's a big blow to them. They're not going to get Kyrie back on Thursday. Sounds like maybe Sunday uh, against the Sixers. Otherwise, you know, hopefully from from a fan and from a, a basketball watching perspective, hopefully he's back for that Christmas Day game uh, in Golden State. But either way, I think the Cavs are firmly in position to kind of cruise this one out like we talked about in the offseason and just kind of play for the for the postseason and hopefully get their shot at either Golden State or San Antonio in the finals but I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell we'll talk about the Lakers a little bit um we got a chance to watch them on Fox Sports Wisconsin on Tuesday night uh with the Bucks in LA uh, obviously Milwaukee got killed in that game but I thought D'Angelo Russell looked really good I think he felt the same way it's coming off the bench a move that I know we both didn't really love, and it's kind of a hard move to, to say you, you really agree with, but what it does is allows him to play fewer minutes with Kobe Bryant and be a little bit more of a focal point offensively, and I think that's pretty much exactly what happened against a pretty bad Milwaukee team. Yeah, he's yeah, – that's I mean, that we don't want to read too much into uh, what they did against Milwaukee just because, like you mentioned, that defense was pretty poor. But, I mean, Russell just specifically – as the season's gone on has gotten better in pretty much every facet uh you know his his assists per 40 minutes have gone up by you know from 4.2 to 6.8 over his last five games uh you know he's better on the pick and roll uh, much better in transition uh, on points per possession and transition spot up's been about the same but really just kind of getting his feet under him I think you know he was a guy that uh, you know, the NBA game was going to be a bit of an adjustment for him just based on what, uh, you know, the people he played against in the Big Ten last year. So I think also you factor in the fact that Byron Scott and Kobe Bryant are kind of messing up the works. I think it, the fact that he's come on this strong of late is, is very impressive. Yeah, that is a good point. I mean, to mention that he's kind of working against his own coach and working against his own 
you know, veteran <laughs> teammate, I guess. And he and he's still he's still playing well. And you look at the shooting percentage, you know, just over forty percent. I guess closer to forty one, and that's not great. But I mean, for a rookie point guard, that's really not billed as like a great shooter. I think I think you're pretty happy with forty one percent at this point, right? Yeah, and in December, in yeah. nine games, fifteen point six points, three point eight rebounds, four assists. Uh, you over know. a steal a game on the season too. Yeah, I think it's. I think he's. People got down on him early in the year. You know all the stories about him. You know unhappy with his role, whatever it might be. But like he's like very quietly uh, been the best rookie point guard in this class by a decent margin. Would you, if you were redoing the draft, where would he? Where would he go for you? Like forget Ooh. about team context just like would he go third would he go second would he go fourth well we still, well, let's, let's count it down I mean, obviously he's not going to be that far down so is town still your number one yeah town's is number one um i i mean it's kind of him or porzingis right right for number two i think it has to be one of those two and like it's, t- it's tough to say you know if you're talking about la you know they kind of have a need at both spots i i think those two are a toss-up i think i'd go porzingis by a hair just because you know the potential has been i think so i immense. would too but i i think i think the, it's the w- fact that i would go porzingis says a lot about yeah. porzingis just because i love exactly. russell so much Sure, exactly that's not really a knock on russell okafor or russell i mean okafor's I, numbers have been good but I'd, i wouldn't even take okafor four I, there's guys i'd take over okafor who I would think. you take over him at four i'd take I mean, booker winslow? i'd take winslow i'd take uh Rashad Vaughn? <laughs> um, no, I mean, um, I, I, I would take, I would take Booker and Winslow over, over Okafor for sure. I just think that Okafor is such a sieve on defense. Yeah, that. I mean, wh- I want to talk about Okafor quickly. Like, where is his, where is he going to be in five years? I mean, obviously he's putting up numbers that say this guy's a really good offensive player, but it, you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. Playing in Philly, obviously the defense is terrible. He's got some off the court things going on. Like, do you see this like being the makings of? a future star in this league once Philly kind no, of gets no, its no. act together? I think he's going to be just a prototypical good offensive numbers on terrible teams like his entire career type of guy. Like an Al Jefferson? Like uh, maybe that that might be like his peak or his ceiling, I guess, you know, kind of like a, a Derek Coleman, yeah. Sharif Abdurrahim, like oh. not, not the same type of player, but just a guy who's just never on winning teams because – to have him out there really kind of means that your your ceiling as a team on both ends is so limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, I think we agree. Russell goes somewhere between you know two and abs- at the absolute lowest right. four, I guess. So I think you know the Lakers are right on probably at number two. And you know, the, well, the- for them, like if I was trying to take team context out of it right. and just like how would you rank like your big board right now? Right, but sure. um, for them. I don't think he makes much sense at all, really, if you kind of factor in that they're going to be pretty aggressive about about trying to get Russell Westbrook in there. I don't know how those two fit together at all. So I think yeah. if you had Porzingis with Westbrook, that makes a ton more sense God. than than uh, Russell with Westbrook. That would be like Twitter's favorite one-two tandem for the next ten <laughs> not, years. Not that you, I, and I'm I'm not sure how you even want to factor. Uh, free agent chase two years down the road right. into your draft pick because you're trying to acquire assets I think but uh, you still kind of gotta like think that that's got to be in the back of their heads is like right. how do we get what Russell Westbrook to come here and the idea of him sharing backcourt duties with another ball for mm-hmm. ball dominant point guard doesn't seem that appealing to me yeah you gotta wonder if you know, if Russell Westbrook was a free agent this summer, maybe that would have been a difference. But either way, mm-hmm. like at you know, you could always I don't know how the numbers work out, but you know, you could include Russell as an asset in a sign and trade situation, something like that. You know, if he, yeah. if he proves to be a good player, like he looks like he's going to be over these next couple of years. So that is interesting though, because most teams don't. I don't think most teams have to factor that in, like the Lakers and the Knicks, and, and really the Lakers are probably the only team that's at that level. Maybe Miami, the way that they've been aggressive in free agency uh, for the last five or six years, but. I mean, L.A. being L.A., you know, it just adds that another dynamic to the draft. Do you think if they knew Porzingis was going to be as good as he's looked so far that they maybe would have gone in that direction? Yeah, I do. I think, uh, you know, we, there's been a lot of sort of anonymous quotes from NBA GMs about how they all sort of evaluated. I think the majority of them evaluated Porzingis as the, the second best player in the draft, but they just kind of fear was the dominant factor in staying away from him because if you if you take a guy like Porzingis number two and he turns out to be uh 
you know, a major bust, you know, in the in the mm-hmm. way that other uh, high European picks have been, then you kind of lose your job and you're out of the league right. sort of forever. So, I mean, it's it's a lot safer to take a guy like Russell or a guy like Okafor because everybody is – nobody's going to question those picks, whereas right. like Porzingis, you have to hit it or you're kind of screwed. Right. I mean, and even people thought that might be a reach at four for New York, let alone number two. Yeah. But uh, obviously right now it's looking like it's going to work out. Um, so let's talk about a couple more prospects, college guys right now. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Dunn. He's at Providence. We'll talk about Brandon Ingram. He's at Duke. A couple other uh, top five, top ten prospects. We'll start with Dunn. I think we talked a little bit last night. You, you were just saying, like, who is his NBA comparison? And the one that's thrown around the most, I think, is John Wall. Similar body styles, uh, fairly similar styles of play, both attackers, both guys that don't rely too heavily on the jump shot. Um, I guess what is your overall feel on Chris Dunn? Do you like him as a, as a top five type of guy in this draft? I I definitely like him as a top five guy. Uh, I might even like him as the number three guy uh, behind Ben Simmons and the guy we're going to talk about next. I, I think Dunn is just a really hard guy to comp because physically I get the John Wall comps. I actually don't think their games are that similar just because Dunn doesn't have that top gear speed like Wall does. I mean, he's he's a freaky athlete, kind of like Wall, but he's also a lot thicker. I think the fact that he's he's already got like post moves, and uh, you know that's something that Wall isn't a part of Wall's game. I think Wall's you know most comfortable in transition. I think Dunn is most comfortable in the half court. Dunn, I think his shot, while he doesn't rely on it, it's a lot smoother. It's a lot more. Uh, you know, I, I don't see him ever shooting like 25% from three in the league. I don't see him taking many threes, but I think that he'll be one of those guys kind of like Chris Paul or or uh, Jason Kidd later in his career where he can knock down the open three. And I, the guy that I actually think his game reminds me of a lot is Drew Holiday, although I don't their, – their bodies aren't quite similar because uh, Dunn's got a, a much bigger wingspan and – I, I don't know. I think he's just kind of a more solid player, but his just the way he sort of probes in the half court reminds me a bit of Holiday. But uh, you're definitely going to have to do some sort of a combination when you're going to comp him because there's not one guy that really mm-hmm. stands out as a, a surefire comp. Yeah, like you said, it's just you know you're kind of tempted to to weigh in the body factor a lot, and you, you might have to throw that out a little bit. Reggie Jackson kind of came to mind a little bit. A guy's a, a little bit of a bigger point guard, uh, somebody who has the ball in his hands, a probing type of guy, good passer. Baron Davis a little bit to me. I don't think he's he's not quite as smooth as Davis was with the ball. There's a little Baron Davis there for sure. Uh, the ability to adjust in the air is the big thing that that that's what he reminded me most of John mm-hmm. Wall in watching in watching him play is that Wall, like you said, he, Wall has the top end speed that Dunn doesn't have. Wall's a better handle, uh, you know, coming up the court in transition. But I think they're you know when they get in the air and that those adjusting kind of getting around mm-hmm. defenders, drawing contact contorting your body type of shots i think they, they compare pretty yeah. pretty closely and there the, the thing is is like you don't have to there doesn't have to be like a cop i mean i think you, you can watch chris dunn play and it's pretty clear that he's an nba ready point guard oh, yeah. like it's not i mean this is a guy that would have been a mid first round pick last year right i think yeah and Injuries. i think i think the key with him is it's not uh it's a high floor more than it's a high upside i think i don't see him ever being a superstar yeah. just i i think he's a pretty high upside but i mean you you are definitely right I mean, that it's a it is a floor like, situation like i don't see him ever being as dynamic as john wall just because of the the lack of the the speed and mm-hmm. i think i think dunn's assist totals aren't ever going to be double digit or or even maybe above nine I think he's going to settle in as kind of like a seven assist a game type of guy uh just so that's you know, where he's a little more holiday like I, I, I think in a, yeah I think an above average starting NBA point guard and a really really good defensive player too which I think is something that kind of justifies him going in the top five I think it's kind of a a shaky draft outside of the top two guys. Uh, I don't know if you want to throw Scalabissier in there. I'm He's kind of fallen off. Hasn't I'm he? not really. We talked about him as like one, two. Yeah, I'm not impressed with him, and I and I don't think NBA scouts are impressed with him either. Just he's based a little on, soft to me. Yeah, I mean the Tyler Eulis calling him out the other day. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to fall in love with a guy with his body type 
that doesn't play aggressively. Uh, so I think that he's going to fall out of the top two for sure. He, he might not fall past three just because of the upside, but I'd be fine taking Dunn over him. I think Dunn's a, a sure thing. You know, and I don't see any way that Dunn's not in the league for 12 or 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. I think like I think the high floor thing, like you said, is definitely huge. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a double-digit assist guy, but I mean, it's it's tough to average seven and a half assists, seven assists a game in college. I mean, those are those are numbers that can like be close to leading the country among like major conferences a lot of well, times. I mean, it's more more assists than wall average. And- what do you think about the way that they run their offense in the sense that a lot of it is just sort of him, yeah. kind of holding the ball, dribbling the ball kind of probing uh finding i mean he's really good at doing that at the college level finding you know an opening and and getting a guy an easy bucket or getting himself an easy bucket but the nba there's so much more you know there's so much more system play and i wonder how his game necessarily translates into that i think that might sort of hold him back unless he goes to a system where they're just fine with him just sort of doing what he needs to do to get a guy a shot but He's, yeah, I mean, in, in that respect, it would be maybe an, an adjustment period where you're going from, and that, that's kind of part of the thing with playing at Providence. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's a McDonald's All-American. It's not like he came out of nowhere mm-hmm. and you know, everybody overlooked him. It was just Providence is close to home. That's kind of where he wanted to be. I think there was some some situation where an assist he committed somewhere and then a coach took the job at Providence and he followed him there. I forget where it was exactly. But, you know, either way, when you're Providence isn't necessarily a small school and it's a major mm-hmm. conference, but in a situation like this where you're clearly far and away the best player on your team, that can work in both ways. You know, I think it kind of teaches you in some ways to handle the number one role, being the alpha dog type of thing. But at the same time, you know, when you're going into a situation where you're not going to be the alpha dog from day one, it, it can require a little bit more of an adjustment period. But I do like what he does defensively. I mean, you look at yeah, some of the no. games this year already, eight steals, six steals, seven steals, three freak. steals. It's it's crazy. I mean, obviously some of these games are coming against Harvard and Evansville and you know guys who can't handle the ball. But He's yeah. one of those guys that could be like – uh, first team yeah. all defense type of guy in his prime like six it, nine wingspan he's he he can lock down both guard positions i think yep. and really just cause havoc sort of a you know avery bradley marcus smart type of defensive player that just can pick you up at half court and really really force you into some difficult spots do you think he's for sure a point guard at the next yeah, level i do i i think just based on the fact that his his jump shot isn't one of the top two or three assets and then the fact that he is a good passer he is you know he doesn't have sort of the crispness or just dead accuracy in his passes that D'Angelo Russell or Chris Paul have but he has that same vision like he sees all the passing lanes and he gets the ball there it's not always in the perfect spot I don't think but he's you know he's more of a point guard, I think, than like ten of the starting point guards in the league right now. So I think I think that's where he brings the most value. Right. He's got a little bit of flair to his game too, which I love. He makes the, he doesn't, you know, he he sees the passes and he you know he's not afraid to whip it up there, kind of sidearm, one hand stuff yeah. like that. Passes that you just kind of have that have to have that that confidence to even one, make a play. One handed like putback dunks, like right. That, that's where Baron Davis kind of comes exactly, in that, and that's what I thought. <laughs> when Baron Davis on the break too, just kind of that vision where. You, you know you're moving quickly, but it almost looks like you're not mm-hmm. just because you know you're so in control. And I think Baron Davis was kind of a bigger Chris Paul in some ways in that respect. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Chris Paul is a better overall point guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I think he's kind of a blend of all these guys that we mentioned. Drew Holiday, like you said, is probably the closest if you want to pin down one guy. But I mean, Dunn's a pretty pretty tough guy to, to compare to just one player. Before we before we move on to Ingram, uh, where do you? Uh, where do you think Dunn would fit best among the teams that are going to be picking around there? I've been asked about him probably by four different people in the last two weeks for, with relation to the Bucks, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as much yeah. as I would love a guy, that. A guy can dream. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, he could be in that range depending on where Milwaukee falls here. Uh, but at the same time, I like, they need shooting at that position badly. Okay, so I think – Let's just assume the Lakers and the Sixers pick one two sure. in some order, and he he doesn't go there. Uh, you're looking at, you know, I don't I don't think the I don't think the T Wolves would take him. Uh, that'd be I mean it'd be interesting. They 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 they're a team that's kind of weird. They just have so many pieces at every position. Uh, 
We could talk about them later. The, the Nets, the the Pelicans, the Bucks, the the Knicks are going to be down there. I don't care where their record is right now. They're going to be in the mix. Uh, you got to figure the Nuggets fall into that mix. They they've already got Moutier, the the Blazers. They've they've got Lillard, the Kings. I don't know if they'd be smart enough to take a guy like Chris Dunn. So. Uh, Really kind of interesting. I, I'd love to see him on the Pelicans, but yes. uh, also wonder how long the Pelicans are going to stay this bad. Um, but Yeah, yeah well, well, I mean, I think they might. At some point, we'll talk about them. Well, That'll kind of yeah. be in our next segment uh, as far as the Pelicans. But, yeah, we'll kind of assume that, like you said, that these teams are going to finish as they are right now. Boston would hold uh, would hold one of those picks. They would get that Nets pick. That would be right. interesting. I mean, they – Boston's one of those teams that like doesn't have any needs necessarily, like glaring, glaring needs, but they also don't have any position that you feel is like fully set for the next six mm-hmm. or seven years, right? So like they're in a position to 100% take the best player available, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sacramento's interesting, like you said. Rondo's on a one-year deal. Cousins already wants him back. Um, we'll see about that. <laughs> Denver, I don't think. I think they're they're kind of laid or made their bed with Moody, eh, right? Right. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. It's a it's a it's a bad it's a soiled bed, right? Right. Now. It's not looking um, great. Portland is kind of <laughs> Portland's kind of locked in with Lillard. Rubio's extension kicks in this year. He's got three more years after this one. Uh, that would obviously be a tough deal to move. Although there would be interest, I think. Phoenix. I mean, they're set at guard. Milwaukee. It's such a tough. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Is like the Bucks clearly make the most sense of the teams Man, be fun. that we're talking about. But let's let's talk about Brandon Ingram. Sure. Yeah. Let's move on to Ingram. Uh, so he's a guy that's kind of he's been in the conversation. I think in the top five. You know, since you start basically since the 2015 mm-hmm. draft happened and people start looking ahead. And this is a guy that's been on radars for a while. Just the kind of that Kevin Durant type of mold, super skinny, super athletic, kind of can do it all type of guy. You added some weight. He's looked good for Duke. Uh, not your typical Duke freshman either. Like, I think, didn't you say this guy, he seems like he should go to Baylor? <laughs> yeah. Like well, like, yeah, I mean, like uh, just hair and tats, he looks like Wiz Khalifa. So yeah. like, I, I think, uh, I mean, easy to see why Duke would want him, though. I mean, oh, he's, right. uh, he's a freak and... It just seems like they usually get the more polished type of freshman. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he can shoot it. I, I think Coach K is just kind of completely gone. It, it seems like they get the most polished guys, but, like, I don't think he cares really at all. Like, I, think I think Kentucky's kind of influenced him to right. just go out and get whoever. And, like, when you can get guys like Ingram, like, why not just right. get them? You know, I mean, they're... The Duke's kind of turned into a you know basically Kentucky 2.0 in terms right. of how they get one and done guys. Which is so. odd because didn't am I wrong to say that Coach K like four or five years ago like kind of didn't I mean he didn't come out and call out Coach K but he, he wasn't exactly supporting what I just uh, think what Calipari he, was doing. I think he sort of adjusted um, like as sort of a survival instinct. I don't I think he realized that if he were to just target guys that were going to stay two or three years there's no way they were ever going to be able to match Kentucky talent-wise. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the end of the day, you want those want those national titles. Well, that's uh, the thing. I mean, Duke and I think North Carolina still follows that, too. They You know, they seem – not that they're not targeting those, like, top five guys, but they're targeting, like, you know, if you're looking at Scout.com's rankings, mm-hmm. like guys who are ranked, like, number five through number 50, like guys who aren't quite good enough to make the jump right away. But, you know, you, they come back as second-year sophomores, and they're probably just as good as maybe some of these – star freshmen that are coming in but when you run it that way then you're kind of making you're running your team in runs you're like okay this is our year then we'll have a down year i think you want to have sort of a blend i think you want you don't want unless you're kentucky like kentucky can pull off the all one and done guys because they just reload from year to year but uh you want guys like emil jefferson and guys like grayson allen who are going to be there for multiple years so that you can bring in these stud freshmen but then uh, still have some continuity, so I think they do a pretty good job mm-hmm. with that. So who's your comparison for Brandon Ingram? Like I said, KD is the one well, that's probably <laughs> thrown around the most, but how how accurate do you think that is? I don't, uh, I don't really like that one at all just because of the difference in height. Uh, you know, KD's, KD's basically seven feet tall. Ingram's uh, a shade under 6'10", so I don't really think you can make – that comparison but i think uh i don't think ingram has a legitimate comp really it's it's kind of impossible i think 
it, it's a completely off the board comp uh, physically, but and he's he's not the passer that this guy is. But I think there's some there's going to be some appeal, and you might even like make a Chris Middleton comp um, or something like that. But there's going to be some appeal that Ingram could kind of do what Draymond Green does for Golden State, where he uh, can bring the ball up and can be a guy that, that cuts to the rim, can guard multiple positions, like maybe three or four positions uh, on, on pick-and-roll switches, can shoot the three. He's a better shooter probably right now than Draymond is. Uh, He's got a nice release, too. Yeah. It's so rare for a guy with that frame. You know, It's, it's kind of like a Giannis type of frame where it, mm-hmm. you know usually those guys have kind of – elongated shots that seem like they're pushing. I mean, he just catch, flick, yeah. shoot. I don't think the, the the big separator, obviously, is that he – I don't think he could D up NBA fives the way that Draymond has to in some of their – some of the rotations they run, and I don't think he can pass quite like Draymond. But, like, NBA teams are going to be super intrigued by having him sort of play that, that role where they – they have him move all over the place on, on pick and rolls and have him have him bring the ball up and kind of run sort of point forward stuff for him. So I think the fact that he can already shoot, uh, if teams decide that he can continue to add weight, like obviously they're going to look at his body and try to determine how much weight he can add. But, you know, if he gets to sort of, you know, you know how Anthony Davis sort of his body just completely sort of transformed from when he first got to Kentucky to like maybe second or third year in the pros. If they think he can make that kind of transformation, then I could see the case for considering him at number one. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a league that, you know, has been is going to be dominated by wings and kind of has been dominated by wings for the last decade. And, it, you know, Ben Simmons is certainly a step ahead of Ingram and they're, they're similar type of positions i guess yeah you know? so it's not like you're, it's not like you're debating brandon ingram versus mm-hmm. you know back down center like it, it's not ingram versus okafor or anything like that but you know i think where does he profile to play offensively you mentioned his defensive versatility and at that a, size he's a four he's a four for me yeah he spends a lot of time at the on the perimeter though right now i don't think that that's like a problem i think it's he's not a problem, like kind no, of a you know he's a stretch that i just don't i don't see how what like what kind of lineup would make sense with him as a three? Like what what would your four do, and what would your five? Yeah, do I guess I guess I don't know. It depends what kind of system you're running. You know, like I mean, do you want him backing down at all, or do you see him as like a super stretch four? I mean, I, this is where I think a Paul George comp becomes right. interesting, just because I think he does a lot of the things Paul George does offensively. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's that's what you're looking at. I mean, I don't think. Like I think Kevin Durant belongs at the four. I, I know he doesn't want to play there because he doesn't want to bang down low. But I think their best lineup is with him at the four. Uh, most teams' best lineup are with guys right. at the LeBron's four the that don't want to play the four. You know, right. I think all these guys want to play the three, and it might not make sense. I think that the fact that he might not be able to d up some fours gives you pause but definitely I think, not right away i think it it just it maximizes your ceiling as a team if he's your four how is he defensively do you know i mean have you got he's, to be able to get a good read on that since they're still in well non-con? His, his stats are are pretty damn good he's got like almost a steal and a half and a block and a half a game mm-hmm. i think so uh i mean he could be one of those just all category type of guys i mean the the free throw shootings uh leaves a little bit to be desired but that that's going to trend up obviously yeah, that's odd though for a guy who shoots the three so well, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be a bad three point shooter or a free throw shooter. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think that's kind of the least of teams' concerns at this point. But would let, let me ask you this? So like, I think we would agree. Like, or what's more important to you? So Simmons, I think Simmons' best trait is his vision. Like at that, like it's just such a rare passing gene that he has for a mm-hmm. guy his size and the guy that can handle the way he can. Uh, What's more impressive to you at this stage in a guy's development, that that passing gene, which you really can't teach, or Ingram's shooting ability given his size? I think it's the passing. It's yeah. just because you can't teach it, right. like you said. And that you can't necessarily teach shooting. I mean, we've seen it work for some guys. We've seen it not work at all for other guys. So you can kind but of make that argument too. But the passing all, is just – All the best players, like the, like the Jordans, the Kobe's, the LeBrons, they all have gotten like massively better at shooting. Right. 
as they, you know, from year one to year five. LeBron's so, still not a good shooter. He had some years where he was a good shooter, but the last yeah. two and a half years, he really hasn't been a very good shooter. And you can still be a very, very effective player because mm-hmm. of what he commands. You know, teams are still going to come out on him because if you don't, then you're basically just giving him the freedom to survey yeah. the floor and, and make plays. And like that, this is one of those things that uh, I think is going to, it kind of limits like a guy like Andrew Wiggins like ultimate upside he's just not he doesn't have the passing gene Mm -hmm. and so even a guy like Kobe Bryant or MJ like they weren't known for their passing but those guys could be fantastic passers when they wanted to and when they needed to right and that that was always the knock on Kobe's that he he can't pass it's not that he can't pass he just didn't when Kobe wants to pass Kobe's gonna get you 13 assists like in the blink of an eye like it's not hard for him at all how we can talk about the Timberwolves in a little bit again, but how concerned are you? You mentioned the Wiggins thing. Like he has not had more than two assists in a game since November twenty third. <laughs> so that's like that's like eleven games in a row with, with yeah. either one, zero, or two assists. You know, it's it's kind of a it's frustrating because I love it's a problem. I love Andrew Wiggins and like I I'll defend him all day, but I I just I don't really get why he wouldn't want to add that whose game and part of it I'm sure is just the way that the T-Wolves are constructed and the way that their offenses run where basically they're like when he gets the ball like he thinks his job is to score and I think a lot of the times that when Rubio controls the ball so much Wiggins and Wiggins isn't um you know when he gets the ball and he kind of decides whether he's going to score or not and if he's not then he just swings it right like he's never driving and with the idea of setting someone up or uh, posting up with the idea of kicking it out, like he mm-hmm. decides if he's going to score or not and then doesn't make a pass that's going to set someone up. So well, that, defenses don't have to shift over on him like they do with guys like Durant and right. LeBron. And obviously he's not to that caliber, but these are the type of guys he was being compared to coming out. And, I mean, we saw those type of guys were averaging, especially LeBron, I mean, like six, seven assists his first uh-huh. couple of years. And it's – well, you know, even that he, was a stupid. He should never have been compared to LeBron. Like I never saw their games no, being similar. I saw his game being similar with Kobe's a little bit right. more. But um, and offensive, like when he's scoring, like he's an awesome scorer. Like he mm-hmm. can score from anywhere. Uh, you know, maybe you know Durant doesn't really have the passing gene. I don't think as much as a, even a guy like Kobe. Like Durant can get you a triple double, but. You know, I think a lot of that's just based on the attention he gets and the fact that he's got Russell Westbrook right. to pass to. Uh, that helps. I, 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 yeah, it's definitely it, it's going to limit Wiggins' overall yeah. upside, and that's why I think a lot of people already have Carl Anthony Towns as the best player on that team. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's that even within the first couple of weeks of the season, and maybe that was a little bit premature, but there were already articles about like this. This could be good for Wiggins to not because mm-hmm. you, know, you, you never that was no. what was the big knock on him right. coming out of Kansas is like is this guy an alpha dog and like whether he is or not. I mean, it, he certainly played like one for a lot of last year. But yeah, I wanted him to have like an MJ to his Scotty and Pippen. Town seems like an yeah, alpha dog. Yeah. I think he's going to be. I think he wants to be. That's a that's still just it's, a really nasty isn't like, it? Oh, uh, it's so fun. combo. I mean, I, when was the last time? I mean, it's Russell and KD, obviously, probably the last right. time a team had this great of a one-two combo yeah. that was this young. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, Russ and KD, I, mean, I wouldn't say they butted heads. I think people think they butt heads, but they, they never seem to actually have any animosity between them. But no. like, the way that Wiggins and Towns play is so different that like you just can't see that ever being an issue. No, you know, like I think they're going to complement each other really, right. really well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm also concerned about Wiggins' three point shooting. By the way, 26 percent on the year, making few, I, fewer than one per game. I, you, if you're not going to pass and you're not going to be a good rebounder, like you got to be able to shoot the three. Do you think that that's enough of a sample to? He shot 31% last year. I don't know. It's not like he had a great year last year and he's just struggling. He's not. I mean, he's just not even taking him as much. Yeah. That's a problem. I mean, he took four, I guess, the game before, but <laughs> previous, one, one, zero, two. I don't know. I mean, I think if you're going to be that type of player, that's got to be something that's added to your game, even for spacing reasons. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's it's not something that I don't think he can get to. Like I think his his shot is good enough where he should be a good mm-hmm. three point shooter, but it is yeah, it is a little. And he's getting to the line eight times there. a game too, just like kind of offsets a little. I kind of like his post game the most yes. of any part of his oh, game. Yeah. So I think that you know if, if he's sat, if he's not taking threes in favor of posting up, then I'm all for that. When we've seen guys be very successful without big time three point shots, I mean Dwayne Wade comes to mind, but at the same time he was also a guy who 
you know, at his peak was giving you five, six, seven assists a game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's still we're a month and a half into Wigan's second year, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. But um, we talked a little bit about Ben Simmons already. Labissier, is it Labissier or Labissier? I've heard it from multiple commentators pronounced wildly differently. I'm pretty sure it's Labissier, like Scalabissier. Yeah. So NBADraft.net, which does, usually does a very good job with, uh, with NBA comparisons, they compare him to LaMarcus Aldridge. Nah. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> I, I was, usually they do a good job, and, and I love the site. But, yeah, I don't know, I don't know about that one. And I don't, I don't remember Aldridge a ton at Texas. I mean, he was a big-time recruit coming in. It was just kind of a, like, eh, this guy's all right. I mean, he stayed a couple years, was kind of expected to be you know, mm-hmm. a one-and-done type of guy and wasn't obviously kind of a late bloomer at the NBA level as well. I mean, LeBCA, like we said, I think he's soft. I think he just, I don't know, the body isn't there. He kind of has the same body as Davis did when he was at Kentucky, but Davis, you know, wasn't, he was a lot more physical with that I think frame. he's got the body that New Orleans Noel had at Kentucky, which is not, sure. a, not a compliment. Um, no, no, and he's got the small little, like, yeah. women's undershirt under it, too. It's, yeah, no, <laughs> Davis wore a, that, too. Like, just stop a, wearing Not women's, a like, good look, that's guys. Like, that's the Brittany Griner look. Like, Dude, I love, I love, here's another thing I love about um, about Ingram. He doesn't do that, and he's one, one of those guys that you would expect oh, yeah. to do that just because he doesn't have the pipes. But, yeah, I mean, he's he seems just like, like somebody who'd wear, yeah. like, the full long yeah, sleeve. Yeah, no, he's uh, not about that, which I which I respect. No, well, he's got well, to show off the tats. you got to let those tats breathe. Right, exactly. I mean, I think... Scal's got just crazy bust potential on him. <laughs> like it's, it's elite bust it's, potential. It's an intriguing. It's a really intriguing skill set. So and who takes a chance on him? I mean, he's gonna go barring like a complete collapse. He's gonna go in the top ten. Oh yeah, Sacramento's probably like hell yeah. This is what we're looking for. I think he'd be a great king. Um, um, maybe, I don't know. I'd like for him to go to somewhere where I where his failure wouldn't wouldn't bother me so you um, go he could go to learn under tyson chandler in phoenix no but they already have they're, not gonna, they're not gonna pick that they well they have john lure i mean they got a they got their big man in the future <laughs> um he maybe Washington? like portland would be a good place for him to just kind of go and just like i think the the coaching staff the developmental staff is it's a good it's like a well-run organization so i think that that would be yeah. the best chance for him to be able to develop into something anti-kings yeah uh the kings would be just uh i mean oh man that would just be hilarious do you have a feel on ivan rab at all he's a guy that i haven't really been able to watch a ton of playing out on the west coast uh, i haven't seen much of him no i mean either well we'll have to get back to him i think jalen brown i mean he's a guy that's risen jalen brown's like uh he kind of reminds me of Blake Griffin. Like, yeah. he's, it's not obviously the same position. Well, I mean, it could kind he of attacks. be. I mean, he just he all just he wants gets to do there. is dunk. Yeah, <laughs> like that's his whole goal. Whenever he gets the ball, is to dunk. Yeah, and no matter who's in front of him, and I I like that, but it's also like got to develop some more of your game. He is somewhat of a tweener, and that's a problem right now. His NBA draft net comparison is Jason Richardson. Speaking of dunking, which I think is pretty fair. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he—I don't know. Is he, does he remind you of Harrison Barnes at all? No, no, I don't. He's a little bit more that. physical than Barnes. He's less, less polished, more aggressive. Not um, a great passer. Less smooth. Yeah, I love Harrison Barnes. Like I, I'm a sucker <laughs> for just super smooth players like that. Yeah, but. yeah. It, I mean, we should have spent more time on comparisons for him. But yeah, we'll talk about those guys uh, on another podcast. Be part of all the action this season at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of RotoWire. With Daily Fantasy, you never need to spend months micromanaging a roster. You can play whenever you want. You can pick a new team every time you play. You can challenge your friends in a custom league to prove you are the superior GM or square off against basketball fans from around the country for big prizes. Go to DraftKings.com now. Enter that promo code ROTOHOOPS. That'll let you play free with your first deposit. DraftKings, the official partner of RotoWire. Again, that promo code is RotoHoops at DraftKings.com. All right, so let's talk about real NBA players now. And we want to talk about some of the teams in each conference that have disappointed. They're maybe hovering a little over 500, a little under 500, way under 500. If we're talking about the Pelicans, which teams are likely to turn it around? Which teams, you know, maybe should start considering the tank strategy? We'll start in the East. And. This isn't a team that, that you mentioned initially, but at, what about Atlanta? They're 15-12. and 12. They got off to a decent start. Uh, they had some nice wins. They beat Charlotte twice. Charlotte looks like a somewhat quality team in the East. They beat Miami. They had a blowout win over Boston. They beat OKC. They beat Dallas. But now, you know, if the season ended now, they wouldn't be in the playoffs. And 
what that means in the East is basically you can string together three wins and all of a sudden you're back in the top four. Um, but I just wanted to ask you, like, what, what has changed with this Atlanta team? I don't think either of us are shocked that they're at where they're at right now. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough to say that they need to turn things around when they're above 500. I guess right. I, I wouldn't have, you know, they're 15 and 12. It wouldn't have surprised me if you told me that they started the year 15 and 12 and were in line for the four seed. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, and they're not, they're only three, they're well, they only could, yeah, they a game and a half back of the four <laughs> exactly. seed. So, uh, I still think that they're, I would, I would say they're a top six seed, I think. And in, in the end, I, I like that. I mean, they got to stay healthy. They don't, they're not as deep as a lot of other teams no. and they haven't really had, I'd be interested to know how many games they've played at full strength because they've dealt with some injuries to, to their bench and their starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And well, I they missed Bazemore for a while. Corver and Cephalosha were being held out of back-to-backs for a I, while. I think they would be wise, and I'm sure that they've thought about doing this. Uh, I don't think you can afford to waste this core's prime. Like I think this might be the last year where you can legitimately say – Teague, Corver, Millsap, and Horford are all in their primes. I don't know how much longer Corver's prime. Corver's prime. I mean, might he's thirty-five be over. in March. Yeah, I mean Corver's prime. Oh might yeah, have we'll talk about him this in a, year. In a minute, but but. Uh, I think you kind of owe it to those four to upgrade that that three spot. And I think Dennis Schroeder and maybe a draft pick would be a way to kind of go about trying to do that. Uh, you know, we threw out. Was I talking with you about potential mellow trades the other day? I, I don't know who I was talking with about that, but. You know, there's been some rumblings that the Knicks might try to move Mello. Uh, I don't love the fit with Atlanta just because they're so kind of team first. But it would raise their upside, I think. And I think they sort of – they need to upgrade that that, th- that three spot. I mean, Dabo Cephalosha is not really a legitimate option there, I don't think. So I, I don't know who you contact in a in a trade there. Maybe, maybe you talk to Phoenix – Maybe talk to, you know, I, I don't know, maybe talk to the Magic. They've got some interesting pieces. Uh, there's a lot of teams that aren't contending that have better small forwards than the Hawks have. So I think you're you're not going to be able to maximize that team with, with Schroeder being your fifth best player and playing the exact same position. Yeah, I think Schroeder's kind of the obvious piece that they have right now to move. I mean, this is a roster that – was so successful last year because there weren't any stars you know so it's hard to look at one guy and say you know they could really shake things up by moving him and bringing in someone else intruders the piece that they could use to to lure a team into sending them someone who could make an impact but at the same time and like you mentioned the three spot is where they're lacking right I mean this is the same team as last year but basically they lost Amari Carroll who you could argue by the end of the year was a top two or three player for them Um, and they didn't really replace him and the only additions were Tiago Splitter which was a nice move at the time he hasn't really fit in well he's been hurt hasn't made a huge impact and then they bring in Tim Hardaway Jr who they they traded their first round pick for he hasn't made an impact at all he spent time in the D league um and, and you know it's not like they passed on any impact players by making that trade uh by any means but this team just didn't get better I think they thought that they could kind of do without Carroll and still make it work and that quite, hasn't quite been the case you mentioned Kyle Corver and like I said he's he's almost 35 shooting 40 percent from three which is still very good but his lowest PER since his rookie year, down right around 10. Uh, also, his nickname on basketball reference is Threesus. Does anybody call him that? If not, they should. Definitely not me. No, uh, I, I would not. If somebody was like, oh, did you watch Threesus last night? So, like, oh, is that a movie? Well, like, yeah, I mean, Corver's having a down year, uh, probably in the declining phase of his career. Yes. And then, you know, Millsap's having a good year. I think Horford's having a solid year. Jeff Teague's not having a great year. No. So, like, if you're going to do the whole kind of Spursy, like, we don't have any superstars, we just all play really well, then you're, all yeah. you guys have to play well. So that you, you take away Carroll and then Teague and Corver take a step back, and you're kind of left with a, a middling team. So I think that, I mean, you can either just blow it up and say there's no possible way we construct the team with the current pieces and compete with teams like Golden State and San Antonio and Cleveland, or you can kind of go for it and try to shake something up, use the 
the assets you have and and try to add one more piece to try to make a legitimate run because I I do think the Cavs are a little vulnerable right. and we we don't know how healthy they're going to be come playoff time so uh, it's probably worthwhile I think to try to make a run at the finals I mean teams are I think sometimes too quick to blow things like this up so I'd like to kind of see them try to make a one last mm-hmm. run with this kind of core intact. Yeah, and you know, guys who signed this summer are eligible to be traded as of a couple of days ago. So you, know, you can start seeing some moves. But I think this is a team that doesn't want to rush into anything at this point. Like we said, I mean, the fifteen and twelve record isn't great, but they're also a few games out of being right there uh, with Cleveland, and that can switch in a heartbeat. But yeah, you mentioned you know maybe they look at Markeith. There were some very weird rumors. Some local radio host on an Atlanta ESPN radio claimed that basically a, a Horford for Dwight swap was a done deal. Clearly, that's not the case. Uh, obviously Dwight being an Atlanta guy that would be interesting I don't know that he necessarily fits with what they do whatsoever Horford in Houston uh, would be something Uh, you mentioned Carmelo he'd have to waive his no trade clause to go there I think that would be a very odd fit as well maybe they bring back Josh Smith uh, on a cheap deal to to fill that three Ryan Anderson was probably available Tyreek Evans might be available Eric Gordon basically anyone on the Pelicans uh, other than Anthony Davis so I mean they'll have options if they want to upgrade and it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, with Dennis Schroeder you know he's an asset for them right now maybe they decide that they want him to be uh, one of the guys long term so yeah I think if if we're talking about teams that we think you know aren't done yet and could still rise I think Atlanta's firmly in that category so what about the Washington Wizards they sit at 10 and 14 now they've lost five of their last seven injuries to this team Marching Gortat hanging out in Poland for a while Brad Beal I think what third or fourth I think it's his fourth stress-related injury in that leg obviously that's a massive massive concern so right now it's basically John Wall and everybody else for them. Teams are shooting a league best 31% from three against the Wizards. They're trying to switch their pace, you know, to be a, a run and gun type of team. They don't necessarily have the uh, the personnel for that. They do have some quality wins though. They beat San Antonio. They beat Cleveland. They beat Miami. I don't know if that's really a quality win at this point. Everybody seems to have beat Miami in the East. They beat Dallas. Um, but without Brad Beal and with as kind of shallow as this team is overall, I mean, are they kind of dead in the water? Yeah, I think that they – I mean, you just look at that roster. I don't see any pieces other than Wall that I even really like. I don't like Otto Porter. I don't – I think Bradley Beal kind of – this was – I don't want to say a make-or-break year, but I think if uh, – and injuries are obviously a part of it, but you can't shake the injuries from his profile. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a legitimate part of his profile. Well, and it's this type of injury too. Like, like for a guy like Anthony Davis, you know, when he's had these like kind of random, like mm-hmm. all over the place, like he gets he gets fouled hard and like, you know, bruised this, strain that. It's like, okay, those are kind of freak injuries, but when it's the same injury three or four times yeah, and I like th- a major injury. They, they, you know, other than Wall, there's no player on this team. Like I think you could make a case like Otto Porter might be a solid like eighth man on a playoff oh, team. come on. He's a good player. Is he? What's What's he good at? He's a good defender. He can All right. catch and shoot okay. Can he? <laughs> uh, his percentages aren't great this year. I don't know. I've been impressed with him. He's played well. I don't think he times. has played well. I think like, he's better than an eighth best at player. At time, on a – That's not what, fair. What would he be on the Spurs? Okay, that's also not a fair comparison. I said on, Spurs, a, like, on a like a six or seven, like a championship team. There's like two contenders in my mind: the Warriors I don't know, and like, the Spurs. I, I don't think he'd play really on either of those teams. I think he would play. He's better than Brandon Rush. Okay, he could maybe play over. Well, would they not, want him on well, the floor right. over Brandon Rush? Considering yeah, he, he can't, can't shoot. shoot. Yeah, I don't know. Fine. I mean, I I'm not saying I'm not trying to argue that he's a great, great. Like, asset I just don't means, think but, they have any like pieces other than yeah. Wall, really. And I think Beal. The hope was this year Beal would like proved to be kind of yeah uh, at least like a third fiddle on like a really good and he, team and he was for like a couple of weeks and that quickly fell yeah. off and then the injury happened real quickly before we move on what does this do for the kd sweepstakes all the, of a sudden this team I, looks a hell of a lot less appealing i than don't they think did. he's i mean he's not going to go to a team like that, that isn't a top four or five seed in the east mm-hmm. without him so like what's know, the thing he's not going to try to raise a team from the unless he tries to, to like bring playoffs. someone with him like kind of like lebron did with bosh like the thing that people underrate about lebron leaving cleveland is like he went from a bad bad situation to a really really good situation durant would be leaving a good mm-hmm. situation to go to a worse situation right and i think a lot of people like i think durant would look at the warriors like nba players i think they they get a lot of credit sometimes for being uh smart from like a basketball like iq standpoint but i don't think really any of them are all that smart from a constructing a team standpoint and mm-hmm. he's going to look at the warrior situation and be like oh that'd be a great fit for me like i can shoot that would make 
them worse, I think. I mean, I think they're they're a team that just went yeah. to started the year almost twenty five and zero, and they like they don't need any help. They're, Could they're you imagine, perfectly like, constructed. Do you really right think now. that's on the table? I think that that's something that he would be very interested in. Like, mm-hmm. I think he'd like to play for Golden State. I think that hopefully the hope is that they're not interested in bringing him in because I think that that would kind of ruin. Uh, sort of what know, they have that's going so tough that's a if it's a lose i mean it's, it could be a, it's a high high we, we high shouldn't risk. let's let's not it's go not down even. this that could be a like, whole podcast this is, yeah this is gonna all right let's, yeah let's, i don't um, want to talk about it so bucks. you want to talk about the bucks. i want to talk briefly about the bucks i i, I like how you framed it as i want to talk about the bucks <laughs> not we want to <laughs> talk is, about the bucks that is what it so is so the bucks 11 straight road losses um this happened last season too for what it's worth at, at one point they lost 11 straight on the road but they didn't look this bad at any point in 2014-15 they lost to the lakers on tuesday the clippers last night Really the only quality wins for this team, and they have 10 wins, is that Golden State win on Friday, which is looking like the fluke of all flukes. Um, and they beat Cleveland at home. <laughs> it looked like the fluke of all flukes as it was happening. Oh, right, exactly. That's <laughs> right. what I'm saying. And, it, yeah. and in retrospect, it is too. And um, I love how people, like last night, the Suns were like playing with the Warriors for like a quarter and a half, and it's like, oh, man, the Warriors, I don't know, are they taking this? And then third quarter, eh, they're up 40, and that's that. And, I mean, this team is going to absolutely crush Milwaukee tomorrow night. Uh, but they, the Bucks beat Cleveland in double overtime at home. That somehow was like their second best win. Rest of the month, they go Golden State, Phoenix, Philadelphia, Toronto, Dallas, OKC, Indiana. Like maybe they win one or two of those at well, they, best. They'll win the Philly game. They should win the Philly game. But they also just got blown out by. That the would actually be great if they in the same season beat the Warriors and lost <laughs> to the Sixers. That'd be it would be great, great if the Sixers were still defeated and then they right. they had, they gave right. the Sixers their first right. win. But either way. Uh, Clay Thompson somewhat called out the Bucks uh, last night. I don't, I don't. It wasn't like uh, you know we're coming for you, but it w- he mentioned that he was not happy with how they uh, how they reacted to the win. Basically, an act like you've been there before type of thing. And it's like, well, they didn't. They've never ended a twenty four game losing streak. I mean, it's on the one hand, I think it's kind of funny because like the Warriors are going to blow out the Bucks right. quite obviously. But on the other hand, it's like you really like sort of calling your shot or like talking pregame trash to like the bucks like right. i mean what do you expect that terrible like, team to I, do i watched like, that game and i didn't think they're, they're obviously going to get pumped about that win like what do you want them yeah, to do like I what else think do they, they have to get pumped about i don't like, think they went over the top no. at all honestly i thought it was like if anything the fans maybe they took it a little far sure. with the 24 and 1 shirts but and that's all that. like, but, like why really not? the what you got to do is look at that as kind of like respect yeah. I mean, like they're freaking out about a regular season win like that's how good you guys were like that's how good of a run you had I mean like that's not like if they hadn't been happy about it that wouldn't have said much about how much they respected you so I mean I I think that obviously you're gonna use whatever you can for self-motivation and and, I mean I think they're gonna really roll the bucks up and smoke yeah I think they are too but I mean even after the game OJ Mayo was asked about it you know saying like is it discounted at all that this team is on the end of a seven-game win streak on a back-to-back on double o- overtime? And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, of course. I mean, they're they're going to be tired. It's not like they, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, well, maybe juice, I'm a little biased." Juice is here, the juice is always going to be the voice, the of voice reason. of reason. Yeah, uh, as he's at at the club on on Tuesday morning, which I Look, think we both agree is just not a big deal. I think at it's all. a yeah, great move by him. Yeah, I think I would like <laughs> like your exact quote was, "I'd be pissed if they didn't go." Well, like that's uh, you know, I I don't want to. I've I've definitely been to strip clubs before. I mean, it's not the night before uh, NBA games. I've, well, I went to a strip club um, specifically. I went to one right after the Packers lost to the Seahawks in the NFC title game. Uh, that was the last year, still. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I I understand. Um, that being a potential destination after a tough loss. Well, there's also to be fair. I I'm. I'm uh, I tweeted this incorrectly. It was the morning before the loss. Oh, I was okay. I was thinking, you know, West Coast time. They were there morning, you know, whatever. But either way, they had a game. Then okay, they had a, they would have had a game the next day if it was after the loss, whatever. Um, I see. I'd be more of a post game strip club guy than right. a, than a pre game strip club guy. But that's just me, right? And they were also there till two a.m. And that was like the big thing, like Ooh. two a.m. on like on a night when they're playing at nine thirty. Realize <laughs> like almost all like seventy percent of most players in the league are. Doing something that's yes. not sleeping at two a.m. on like every and it's like basically. how and you're only going to get caught for the most part doing that in L.A. or New York because of TMZ. You know, mm-hmm. like 
you're not going to get, you know, who's, I don't know, the, so there's probably some team that's playing in Indiana this morning or tomorrow night who's doing the same thing, but there's TMZ's not in Indiana yeah. strip clubs filming. Yeah. So, like, whatever. I, I think that's a non-story. Um, but, yeah, either way, possible records on the table Friday with this, this rematch in Golden State. Most points in the game regulation, <laughs> 179. Ah. <laughs> that, that's doable, right? Mm, yeah. That was the 1959 Celtics. Right. Margin um, of victory. 68 points. That one is on the table. That one's more on the table than yes. the 179, I think. Points and a half? That one's in play. I 107. Think. I think that's in play. Well, what did the Warriors score? 46 in the third last night? Well, so you're not going to – like, I don't see them getting a 179 just because, like, all the guys will be out at that point. Well, but, for, like, well, if they the did thing. that in the first half, like, if – you know, could they get 50 in a quarter? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's for sure on the yeah. table. I mean, look, like, the thing that – you know the Clay Thompson, like oh they didn't win respectively. Like, had the Bucks like actually like gone out of their way and like celebrated in their face, like maybe yeah. they make a statement. And Luke, yeah. Walt, you know they're up fifty going into the fourth, and he's like, you know what, pedal to the metal. Nah, but, Luke's a chill dude, right? That's what I'm saying. I don't. I think Clay's probably. I mean, maybe he's not the only guy that feels that way, but this team wouldn't risk anything. You know, they're not going to play Steph 45 mm-hmm. minutes in this game if it's a huge blowout. Uh, points and a half, like I said, 107. Yeah, maybe. That was the 1990 Suns. I looked at the box score of that game. No one on the team scored more than 32 points in the game. They had 173 as a team. 39 free throws, not a single three-pointer made. So uh, uh, the I, Frank Madden uh, tweeted out something I thought was a really good point about this Bucks team in that they're like it's kind of discouraging because they never even get back in these games no. when it's like over and the other team's putting their subs in. Like yep. they don't even cut into the deficit then. Right. So like that's why I think margin of victory is the one that's really in play because say the Warriors like take out their starters, you know, at the end of the third quarter they have like a, I don't know, 48-52 point lead or something. I mean, are they going to – they could c- kind of conceivably pile on – Further. Well, it's the thing is their backups are as good as anybody's backups, and the Bucks' backups are, are as bad as anybody's. And Jason Kidd sometimes likes to leave the starters in to kind of give them like even, yeah. give them their medicine. Yeah. You know, like you guys got us into yep. this position. You're gonna have to just. Hey, play he did the that. He did game. that against yeah. the Lakers on Tuesday. Which I like. That's Giannis a, was in late to the fourth. He didn't wave the white flag and put Copeland in until like the two minute mark. It sucks because it's like you want to get your bench guys some reps, but it's also a nice little like, hey, if you guys are gonna just not come to play and yep. get blown out no, then I'm you're going to stay in there yeah absolutely I, I totally agree with that and I think Frank kind of piled on with that and made the point that like those Skiles teams the starters didn't always play that well you know the, the high the top end wasn't as high maybe the potential but the other team or the Bucks backups routinely stuck with or outperformed the other teams you know like the Bucks mm-hmm. you know the Bucks maybe would have the sixth through 11th best players in the game you know and that was kind of enough to hang in there whereas this Bucks team has a few guys that you like, but you know you, you get beyond that, and the reserves are, are just terrible. Points in a quarter, final record we'll talk about, 58. That one also firmly on the table. That was the 1972 Buffalo Braves. So I think like I don't want to jinx any of this, talking about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, even as somebody who, who covers the Bucks and watches the Bucks, I kind of want to see what happens here. I would, If there are records to be broken, I wouldn't mind seeing that happen mm-hmm. by any means. Um, but yeah, I mean, that should wrap it up, huh? Yeah, that's good. Do we have any time for Fargo, or we'll push that to the next one? We could push that to the next one. All right, fair enough. It was a fairly uneventful uh, finale anyway. Yeah, we'll talk about some more Western Conference teams uh, on the next podcast. We'll talk about maybe a few more Eastern Conference teams, depending on what happens over the next week. Uh, But four games in the NBA tonight, Thundercats, Raptors, Hornets, Rockets, Lakers. Excuse me, only three. Rockets, Lakers. Um, That would be the, the second half of that great TNT doubleheader. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But again, we're brought to you by DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Be sure to sign up for that Rotowire NFL championship competition. Again, qualifiers this week and next week. Well, and and how do you get a free ten day trial to the site again? What's that? Rotowire.com slash pod. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. If you go to rotowire.com slash pod, if you're not a subscriber to the site, it'll bring up a little form. All you do, create a username, create a password. You don't have to enter any kind of phone number or anything like that you don't have to put in any credit card information uh, and you'll get 10 free days on the site to check it out that way you don't have to commit to anything before you have a chance to see what we're all about so definitely go do that um, and again yeah we're sponsored by draftkings.com and try to sign up for that rotowire nfl championship if you're still into that napa know how
A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.